It's Monica, and welcome to the Home Health Occupational Therapy Explorer podcast. Support and inspiration so you can go play sooner, uh, especially for the home health OT. Because let's be honest, when we've got um, creative, uplifting community to help us do our work at a high level, I swear it means we actually do get to go play sooner um, and that the inspiration to do our work is just blown open. So thank you so much for being here. Super special episode today for a long-awaited guest, uh, very special guest, Karen Vance. So let's dig in. Hey, uh, it's me again. Before we dig in with Karen Vance, I just wanted to take an opportunity to shine a little bit of a light again on this topic that came up with Clarice Miller in last week's episode on the PDGM or the Payment Driven Groupings Model, which is a change in the payment that's going to come out for home health. And so what came up was this topic of using our voices and that your voice matters, especially as uh, an OT and especially as a home health OT. And after airing that episode last week, this topic has come up in very unexpected areas of my life and very clearly this same theme of your voice matters. And so I just wanted to take a moment before we air today to just say it again, because as OTs, I don't think maybe we can hear it enough. And and that my hope is that if you are feeling like you either are struggling to find your voice or you're super ready to use it, a good place for both situations can be AOTA, your local association, and or just coffee with a fellow and local OT. And may we remember, and I say this for myself too, that this is not about getting this perfect. This is about making progress and just honoring this uh, still small voice within us that has something of value to say. And even if we fumble through it, um, learning how to just cultivate the wisdom of our own voice and come together with other people who can help us with that. So again, whether that's through AOTA, uh, your state OT association, or just the local community around you or around us, may we continue to just make progress with that. Um, Okay, and so with that, let's dig in with Karen Vance. Thanks. So welcome back to the Home Health Occupational Therapy Explorer podcast. I'm super excited today because we have probably one of the OTs who's been uh, probably one of the bigger inspirations in my OT career, um, especially through a book that she wrote that is actually also available as a CEU. And so Karen Vance, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you so much. Really enjoy you're being so, here. Ooh, you're so welcome. Um, so, Karen, for the people who potentially haven't, like they don't know you or perhaps haven't seen the book that you've written, will you tell us a little bit about how you ended up on the scene in home health 
um, and just kind of a little bit of your experience as an OT with the home health world? That's a dangerous question to ask because we could be <laughs> here a while. Um, and you need to understand that um, my home health career started 40 years ago. And that. so it was a very different setting. Well, not a real different setting, but there were a lot of things going on then that are certainly different mm. from they are now. And having been in the industry for as long as I have and seen all the changes that I have, it's given me a really great perspective. My current job is as a consultant for a consulting firm, and my client is actually a home health agency. And when I work with these home health agencies, the interesting thing is when we talk about the things that are going on in the industry, they always say, you have such a different take on all of this. And I'm sure it's because I see the whole thing through the lens of an occupational mm -hmm. therapist. Mm -hmm. So um, about, oh gosh, 35, 37 years ago, um, I started getting involved in AOTA and I was on the formation committee to get the home and community health special intersection um, be an actual thing. It was one of the last two um, mm -hmm. to be to, to be put after that they quit creating new special intersections. Mm -hmm. I chaired it a couple of times, um, was on it a couple of times. And so I've just all of my professional life I have been volunteering for the profession. And we had always felt like we needed to have some kind of a resource available to people because occupational therapy in home health practice is a tough one to navigate mm -hmm. because the differences between how you practice home health is driven more by policy than it is by practice. Mm -hmm. And so when we decided to do this um, self-paced clinical course. And I didn't write the book, but I did edit it. I wrote a few of the chapters. Many of the mm -hmm. chapters were written by Carol Siebert uh, mm -hmm. on in the practice um, section. And that is, those are the topics we're going to be speaking to more um, during these podcasts than, than anything else. But we felt it was very important to make sure when an occupational therapist is considering transitioning from another setting into home health, first and foremost, they have to know to whom they are beholden. Mm -hmm. I don't know a better way to put it because mm -hmm. it would be lovely to walk into a patient's home which is the best place to practice occupational therapy, by the way. More on that later. <laughs> but it would be lovely to think you could just go in and have this wonderful relationship with a patient and practice your assessment skills and come up with creative ways to treat. But the problem is you can't do that unless you want to do it for free. And if you are not in a position to do it for free, then you've got to make sure you understand 
who's paying for it and what you need to do in order for that to happen. Mm. So um, that's why the book was designed in such a way to make sure that every occupational therapist who gets into this setting understands the um, rules and the regulations. Medicare is the primary payer source for uh, the home health setting, as we all know. Many other commercial insurance companies follow what Medicare has <clears throat> developed. So once you know that, you, you know most of what you need to know. But that's the, the reason for the design is to say you, you have to understand who the stakeholders are and how to assure that you are indeed meeting the expectations of the stakeholder. Yes, which, and that's, so I wonder if you could, well, I guess at this point also, I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done thus far to advocate for this area of practice in our profession and including getting that group started um, because I don't know where I would even be in my career without your help and leadership, including that book and what you and Carol did. So truly thank you. Um, and and kind of taking what you've just mentioned, and let's say there's somebody out there who's in, they've been practicing in a skilled nursing uh, setting for a really long time, and they're about to come into home health, and kind of as a, we'll kind of dangle some bait and say, Karen and I are also going to talk about the home health OT eval specifically, but I guess bridging into that, Karen, I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about this mindset shift and kind of knowing the payer, because let's say hypothetically this OT who's been working in the SNF is like, is it really that different? I'm, I'm working also for a payer source. Um, how is home health OT or, or, or what, when you're talking about work, knowing the payer source, how is that really that different in home health? Well, just as any insurance company and, and think about your, if you are indeed employed, um, not, working on your own as an independent practitioner and you have uh, benefits through that employment, you mm -hmm. receive a policy from your insurance company that says, here's what's covered. Here's not. And mm -hmm. here, if you want to be able to access what is covered here, that this, you have to do the hoops you have to jump through. Well, that's essentially what we're talking about with Medicare. We know for a fact that for a patient to qualify for the Medicare benefit under Part A, and, and in home health, it is a Part A benefit, not Part B, but we can talk about the Part B because that gets complicated, but it is a Part mm -hmm. A benefit. And, and so there are several criteria that have to be met. The patient has to meet the criteria, but it's the clinician who is responsible for assuring that it's so well documented that if a Medicare reviewer takes a look at it, they understand, yep, indeed, this uh, person meets the criteria. And bottom line, the three criteria are patient has to be homebound under a physician's plan of care and they need uh, intermittent skilled services. I'm going to stop there because getting deeper into those intermittent skilled services is a whole other conversation. Yeah. But the point is, 
But the point is you have to know those things. And Mm -hmm. because if you don't know that, then, and, and if you go off and treat somebody the way you think they ought to be treated, but are not mindful that um, the patient needs, let's say you're working on community reentry. And so then somebody else, like a nurse from the agency goes in and reads your documentation and sees that you're working on car transfers and helping uh, patients with shopping, that kind of thing. They're going to freak out because then that's going to make it look like the patient's not homebound. And so that's an, a perfect example of the difference in the payment criteria between home health and long-term care, for example. Yes, yes. And, and I think it's such um, an amazing, like that is a really great example also because it is, um, there's specific details in the interventions that can carry a tremendous weight for like what you just said, just homebound status. Um, And also the skilled interventions part, because I do feel like in your book um, that you and uh, Carol collaborated on, it also blew open my understanding of skilled services. Like that was the beginning of really just um, understanding the vast potential of what home health OTs can address in home health. and perhaps, it, you know, I, um, there's so many different angles that we can talk to in regards to interventions. And perhaps the best place to start that conversation is really at the evaluation um, because right. that's mm-hmm. our first kind of touch point. And I welcome any redirection, Karen, from you if you kind of think of sure. some ideas mm-hmm. that you want to share. So recently, for a little context for the listener, um, Karen helped me, I kind of, so Sarah Lyon from OT Potential came to me and asked if I would draft up a a sample home health OT eval. And so I kind of did that. And then I asked Karen if she'd be open to edit it and just give me feedback because I'm always trying to keep a a beginner's mind also. And so Karen, when I shared that with you, you blew my mind, um, not the first time, I'm sure it won't be the last, of sharing a, a different template and kind of a way of looking at doing a home health OT eval. And, and maybe the best way to start this conversation is um, like if you did have a room full of OTs who are perhaps fresh to home health and they're wanting to just hear from you on, on what do, either what are home health OTs missing when we go in for the home health OT eval, or how do we begin to do our evaluations in a way that's really going to keep us viable and help us do potent work? It's a great question and a great place to start because I'm, I'm gonna approach this from a couple of different angles <clears throat> uh, when I answer your question. And that is first, if you can be very thoughtful about how you approach your evaluation process, you will have fewer people in your agency asking you, so what's the difference between PT and OT? Mm. Mm. Because that right there, when you're documenting what it is that you're 
focusing on and what it is you're trying to find out from the patient if if you're not truly representing an occupation for, uh, approach then the, you know you you stand to, to have to answer that question mm-hmm. more than than you would like mm-hmm. secondly i also want to say i am extremely respectful of anyone listening to this and their own employment constrictions and I say that any type of employment, whether you're directly employed or you're contracting or you're working for a therapy company and um, with a relationship with an agency, whatever. The point is that agency is going to have a particular kind of software, electronic health record. And you're going to be limited Mm -hmm. to some degree by that. And I'm fully respectful of that. It does not keep you, however, from framing in your own mind how you're going to approach this evaluation, where you document the results of your evaluation Mm -hmm. is essentially what you are limited to Mm -hmm. with that software. Mm -hmm. But do not let that software programming (laughs) frame it for you. And that's hard. It's very hard Mm -hmm. because the next screen opens and then you're asking, you know, you're answering questions and you're poking on responses, uh, you know, and you've got drop down boxes when, and then it's, then all of a sudden it's driving the way you think. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about the evaluation that you ended up with Monika and, and uh, provided for um, the the website because it's what I like to consider to, to be a top-down approach. Mm-hmm. And indeed, it follows the occupational profile. Yeah. And, or excuse me, the um, practice framework, mm-hmm. the practice framework, mm-hmm. starting with the occupational profile. And therein lies one of the biggest differences between our discipline and all the other disciplines, nursing, therapy, PT or speech, and that is starting first with the patient and finding out um, what their occupational profile is, starting with their concerns. I have to tell you real quickly a a funny thing. Uh, The (laughs) consulting firm that I work with, I've been working with for 16 years now and started as soon as I started working with them, working with home health agencies and helping them develop interdisciplinary team approaches rather than mm. segmented, isolated, siloed um, discipline programs, because mm-hmm. most of the time that's what they are. They may be multiple disciplines, but they are not interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. And, and so we talk about that and we talk about the patient being the most important person on the team. Mm. And so we would focus on starting with finding out what the patient's goals are. Finally, in 2018, the conditions of participation, the other set of major regulations that we are beholden to in this home health setting, finally made it a requirement to 
find out the patient's goals. Mm-hmm. What a concept. <laughs> now, yeah, what a concept. <laughs> and, you know, and I was so glad because as much as I've been trying to get agencies to think like this for so long, when you make it a regulation, all of a sudden everybody scrambles and, and mm. uh, tries to make it so. Um, so at any rate, that's the reason for starting profile and um, starting with meeting the patient where they are, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, helping helping them because you're it, then that's going to drive your assessment. Yep. Now, here's another thing I want to say about um, the difference of home health and other settings, particularly settings like outpatient clinics. Mm-hmm. When you start with meeting the patient where they are and finding out what's important to them. And then if you allow yourself to say, this is going to drive my assessment or my evaluation, Mm -hmm. it's going to drive the kinds of things that I'm going to truly be uh, finding out relative to Mm -hmm. what their activity demands are, what their Mm -hmm. level of assistance is Mm -hmm. in those things that are important because You will hear me say this way too many times in our journey together, and that is for an occupational therapist that starts with strength and range of motion are missing the point Mm. because you don't need to ask or assess or evaluate strength unless it's in the context of what is the patient going to do with greater strength if they have it. Mm. Yeah. And I read as a part of my job, I do a lot of chart review for home health agencies. And when I read um, therapy uh, notes and evaluations, and it always starts with strength and range of motion. Mm. And, and I'm like, okay, fine, but give me a picture Mm. about why the, why is this important Mm. Mm. And what's the strength going to be used for? Yes. So that's why we like the idea of starting with the occupational profile and the evaluation. And then from there, you can say, all right, then these are the areas that I'm going to be focusing on in terms of identifying levels of assistance. Then from there, you can drill down and say, what performance skills are needed to improve their level, uh, their functional level in these particular activities. And, and then it just, it, it top down, you get down to that, but only yeah. at the point that it is necessary. Yes. And go ahead. Well, yeah. the other, what, well, I'm going to launch into another um, <laughs> direction. So if you want to ask a question or say something else about that, do it now. <laughs> so I do. I just want to take a moment to say that when you, well, and I think this is laughable and important to point out the, um, the messiness of journeys that I think are bold and worth taking because I've been a home health OT for a while and I've, I do try to keep improving my practice. And even when I found myself doing a sample eval, there's um, 
kind of an old school process that can come to mind, especially based on a template that I was kind of working with to create it. And I found myself just like caught in the template. And I think it's funny and worth pointing out that when I got feedback from you, it, it was like, let's bring the goal to the top and put the occupational profile in it. Because even I had missed putting that really specific profile in right away of habits, routines, what are their roles for leisure, um, hobbies. And that it, it really does create a natural overflow of everything else. I mean, to even, I always like to make sure that the goals, because it is starting with such a specific goal, it's like, um, I don't know the best analogy for this. And I'm really like at a loss of words for analogies, but where it's like, when I know at least one of the first goals that's going in, it does fill it up that it's like, okay, then I know I need to check cognition transfers. Is the caregiver going to be around? You know, it, it really does give a natural sense of kind of filling up the jar back with fluid because it can be so overwhelming. And I love that you kind of spoke to that because there have been times, especially before I knew better, that I would go in and kind of be like, oh my God, I need to assess everything. And I only have like 45 minutes to an hour for this eval and like, where do I begin? But when there's a goal at the beginning that's communicated, it creates such a, a, a more um, potent spine to work with or like kind of the bullet points more naturally emerge. And so I love that you've um, spoken to that. Okay. I like calling it a spine. That's, that's uh, very visual. <laughs> yes. I'll take all the visuals I can get. Okay. So I'm going to ball toss back to you, Karen. You're going to launch it in a new direction. So <clears throat> even though I just said all of that <laughs> and all of that's coming from a pure occupational therapy perspective and approach, I'm going to also go back and remind you that we have to stay front forward in our mind mm. of our stakeholders yeah. and who, to whom we're beholden and what we have to do to satisfy those stakeholders. Mm. And whether or not you are an employed full-time or part-time employed therapist by an agency or a, a contracted um staff person, still you are accountable to that agency. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I know I have said many times before, when therapists are talking about struggles of meeting the demands and um, the kind of relationship they have with their home health agency, sometimes they get a little frustrated with them mm -hmm. and and I, I have to remind them you you need to understand every patient you are seeing for that home health agency is not your patient it's the agency's patient mm. the direct relationship with that patient is between the home health agency the payer and the patient mm. your relationship with that patient is through the vehicle of that home health agency. Hmm. And if you keep that in mind, it's a little bit easier to understand that, you know, the, the kinds of things they're asking from you as, uh, as an agent 
uh, on behalf of that agency is that you, you really do have to make sure that you are helping them, helping the agency, the home health agency itself, meet their own expectations and their own goals. And I will tell you their biggest goal right now is outcomes. Mm -hmm. And how beautiful is that? When you take a look at the outcomes that the agency is constantly monitoring and trying to focus on where they need to improve. So many of those outcomes are so related to what we do with patients as occupational therapists and what we can do to help them is immense. Right. But, but we have to communicate that well. Mm. And so that's why we, in, in the next section of the evaluation, we actually are talking about areas of occupation and activity demands and levels of assistance and framing that in such a way that's obvious to the home health agency that what we are doing is directly connected and tied to the outcomes they so dearly want to achieve. And so that is a very good thing for us because then they understand how important we are to the plan of care. A hundred percent. And I feel like um, I want to take a moment on this topic to peel back a layer because I know in some recent experiences with some different agencies um, since moving from Oregon to Arizona, I've seen it's done different, like truly agency to agency. And some are really um, hoping for certain processes to be used in assessments and even certain assessments to be used. And so I feel like something that I just want to kind of pull out um, for you to highlight a little bit more is this specific process of using um, the ADLs and IADLs and these descriptors such as like standby assist, SBA or mod assist and being able to write why it's moderate assist, why it's standby assist and how that carries weight against something like to the person who's who would say, but Karen, I've been told I need to do the bicep curl test in every eval um, or, uh, I have to at least screen for cognition, which I actually try to do with at least the short blessed test, but where there's kind of a more rigid level of thinking that like, I needed to do this quote unquote, um, objective and measurable test in every assessment and kind of having that be something that has numbers tied to it and is maybe on a piece of paper versus what I feel like you've really reintroduced me to is letting performance levels, such as kind of the the functional independence measure scoring, like the FIM, uh, moderate assist, standby assist, kind of those type of things, be sufficient, like that those carry their own weight. Am I, do you kind of catch where I'm going with this? I absolutely, and this is a great place for this to come up, because this is a, a wonderful synthesis of of really good OT practice and meeting the expectations of the mm. stakeholders. So, so on that <laughs> note, <laughs> um, let me give you a very quick 
reflection back to some I, I say recent <laughs> only because in my history it's recent it's probably not so recent for you because your history is not quite so long but um when in 2011 when medicare created a requirement for therapists to do functional reassessments on certain intervals and of course in the beginning it was at you know certain combined number of visits between all therapy disciplines and blah 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 and and at this point in time that interval is every 30 days within each discipline so 30 days from your initial eval by 30 days not at 30 days and a lot of people get that confused mm. and so if they had planned to go out at 30 days and the patient refuses then they're sunk um, but they didn't have to wait until that 30th day. They could do any time up until then. But that particular assessment is indeed required by regulation to include comparative measures the way the regulations are written. It does require objective measures. Mm -hmm. And I am... Um, making a point to that because the regulations do not require standardized measures. Mm. Many, now it says objective measures and then as examples, they say you could use a standardized measure. But at that point in time, the whole industry just went crazy about, well, you have to have standardized measures and and you have to do this and you have to do that. And then start, people started making rules and the rules superseded clinical reasoning. And I just uh, hung my head in grief <laughs> because um, I thought, here we go. One more, one more distraction. Mm. So the thing is, objective doesn't mean standardized. It means that, and, and this is, this is my definition. Um, it's a compilation of, uh, official definitions of objective, but in the context of this, what objective means is if you're utilizing objective measures, it means the same term means the same thing every single time you use it or anyone else uses it mm -hmm. objective means that a reviewer can look at that word and understands exactly what that means mm. there are and so that's why when we go back to levels of assist and 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 look at um mid mod now by the way that didn't come from the fem um that actually came from medicare many many years prior to the FIM ever being developed. Um, and then the FIM, which I might add, was not designed for home health and does not apply to home health. Mm, the, FIM, the, the FIM was only for other settings, not for home health. And so it can't, when you apply it to home health, 
just like any other standardized measure, if it's not standardized to that setting and you tweak it to try to make it work, then lo and behold, it is no longer standardized. Mm. So when people get so bent out of shape trying to find a standardized measure and try to make things work on, <laughs> on the, um, in, with the intent of, of having a standardized measure, and then what they end up with is something that's no longer standardized, they've totally missed the point. Mm. Especially when the regulations do not require standardized. Now, if you have found a measure that is standardized to the home health setting and you feel like it, it provides a cogent argument for justifying why you need to continue to stay in and continue to treat this patient, then by golly, use it. And that's fantastic. But if you're trying so hard to find the standardized assessment to use and it's not truly helping your cause any, then cease and desist with that and recognize that there are objective measures available that don't necessar necessarily um, represent a standardized assessment. Now, there are a lot of people in education and researchers out there that may not agree with me on this, but I'm coming from a peer practice perspective and I talk with therapists every week all across the country and they're just struggling to try mm. to meet the expectation of their primary stakeholder, which is the person who pays them. And, um, and so there are times when what you need to do is come up with the best way to represent what you're doing with the patient and how to measure them and try not to make it quite so hard. Yeah. Now I made reference to the fact that the um, levels of assist actually were um, published by um, Medicare and it was um, the last time I found this actually um, in the source citations were um, in the Medicare Program Integrity Manual in 2000. And at that point in time, the Centers for Medicare Medicaid Services were called the Healthcare Financing Administration. But the Medicare Program Integrity Manual provided what they called intermediary medical review guidelines for specific services, change in level of assistance. Hmm. And we have reprinted that in the uh, self-paced clinical course in the book for people's references because it actually gives a description of the different levels of assistance from total mm -hmm. assistance to max to moderate to minimum, standby assistant, and then independent status. Mm. And so interestingly enough, I was with a client just yesterday doing an OASIS training for their agency. And one of the things, one of the items on the OASIS that a lot of people have difficulty with are, um, is the transfer one. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the things in the Oasis Guidance Manual, it says <clears throat> when you are scoring it uh, a two, you are providing minimal assist. And if you go into the description in the Oasis Guidance Manual, it says minimal assist means that you are providing 25% or less of the effort. And that comes straight from this document that I am referencing here. It says the patient requires 25% assistance of, by one person for physical activities, blah, blah, blah. And what I find interesting, particularly since nurses fill out an OASIS probably more often than mm-hmm. therapists do, one of the things I like to do in trainings like that is bring a nurse up um, to the front of the classroom and have a therapist come up and I say, okay, to the nurse, pretend you had a stroke and you have significant weakness on one side and this therapist is going to transfer you to this other chair, giving you only 25% Mm. assistance. Mm. And it blows their mind because Mm. it, they don't know what that means. Therapists mm. think more along those lines than nurses do, but that's that's what makes the measure objective. Mm. Mm. When everyone understands the definition and everyone abides by the definition. The definition. Mm. Well, and I'm so grateful that you clarified this. And for the listener, if you are listening to this because you're about to get into home health or you're super new, the OASIS is the big Medicare form that you're going to be hearing a lot more about in home health because that's where um, it's the form that's it, the, what would you it's call it? It's a data set. A data it set. Is Thank you. The, the OASIS is an outcome assessment information set and it allows home health agencies. It is required. It is mandated. But it also allows home health agencies the ability to capture the difference in the way the patient looks from start of care to discharge. Mm -hmm. And home health, because of the OASIS, and since we started collecting data in 1998, well, actually not really transmitting it until 2000, but um, home health is the one healthcare setting that truly has outcome measures describing the way a patient looks as a result of what we've done with them. Mm -hmm. The MDS cannot be compared to the OASIS and the MDS. Most people who have worked in long-term care know it to be the minimum data set. And yes, it's a, a tool that collects data, but primarily for the purposes of defining utilization whereas the oasis the oasis the outcome assessment information set is was initially designed for the pure purpose of providing our industry and each agency the ability to see what kind of outcomes they're getting in the patients as a result of what they do and that's for a whole other conversation. <laughs> right. That's a whole, a whole separate podcast. Right. Uh, or two or three. Right. But, <laughs> but, the, but the point is um, 
when we are talking about objective measures, yeah. we, we need to understand exactly what is required of us and what is not. Mm-hmm. And then you can decide over and above if you think that a standardized measure could make your rationale for continuing to see the patient more robust Stronger. than more poor, more power to you. Yes. And that's the whole mm. point to that every 30 day mm. assessment mm. is because um, in the current prospective payment system, the agency gets more money when therapists make more visits up to certain thresholds. And so that's why Medicare puts the, the onus of responsibility on the therapist to make the argument, here's what we've been doing so far. Here are objective measures that describe the difference between what the patient's doing now compared to what they were doing for. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just to say, and that's why you want to do that is because then a Medicare reviewer may come along and say, we agree or we don't disagree, or we agree or we uh, disagree about whether or not you have justified continued therapy beyond this point. And then if they are in a position where they feel justified in denying additional visits, then it makes a difference in the payment that the agency gets. Mm-hmm. Which again, so that's, of... it's, it's very important that we can make a very robust argument um, for continued therapy if indeed it's needed. If it's needed, right. Emphasis on if it's needed and keeping right. it skilled. And I want to mm-hmm. um, also just take a moment because I know we're kind of talking to the eval and the format that um, Sarah Lyons got in her journal club. And in one of the comments when I was trying to answer some questions about it. I also want to own that I misunderstood because in one of the comments in trying to explain the standby assist and some of those uh, kind of describing the functional levels, I Mm -hmm. referenced the agency having a common understanding and I used the example of a FIM. And I just want to be Mm -hmm. really clear now that I'm having more of a kind of in-depth conversation with you about this, Karen, that mm-hmm. it would not, it sounds like it would not be a good idea to advocate that your agency use the FIM as uh, a standard, because technically there is a standard already, which Correct. is with kind of built into the OASIS and is also in specifically in the book. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so let me tell you very quickly, because um, <laughs> I have it pulled up in front Please. of me. Stamp the definition of standby assistance. What page? And and it right. Well, I'm not (laughs) okay. (laughs) I'm actually. This is just something that I have in my files. Um, I love it. (laughs) So, uh, the other thing that I I want to make sure is is that it may very well be that these definitions are also used in the film, which I would hope they are. But I just am telling you the source I'm getting it from is the Medicare Program Integrity Manual. Um, And it says that standby assist, when a patient is standby assist, it says the patient requires supervision by one person to perform new activity procedures the therapist adapted to enable safe and effective performance. 
A patient requires standby assist when he or she does not always anticipate the potential for errors and the need for safety precautions. Mm. Yes. What I like, what I love about that is that it, what builds into it is all kinds of uh, opportunity for the clinician to use their clinical reasoning. Right. right. And I, I want to take this opportunity too to, to kind of um, also go into the rabbit hole a little bit because I feel like what you're saying or maybe some people who are listening are like, wait a minute. So these standby assists, menaces, modices can be the, some foundational pieces for objectively measuring my patient and that mm-hmm. the weight doesn't have to be given more to the bicep curl test or the functional reach test that like the more powerful weight can be on these descriptor, descriptors of the function. And like, let's say that I go in and I know that um, them doing med management requires at least uh, modicist because of uh, whether it be, let's say it's fine motor, they can't get the bottles open. So then that tells me I can actually bring in like a nine hole peg test and kind of take it to another level with something that's standardized, but objectively putting it at mod counts. Like I don't have to kind of like keep trying to justify um, why it's mod assist. Correct. Okay. Because I think that that's correct. A, where I kind of found myself um, in home health too, is being like, I feel like there's another standardized assessment that I have to do. Um, when really it's like, if there is one to do, do it. But also like, don't break our backs trying to be like, I have to have a, a paper pencil or um, assessment just for the assessment sake. Like if it's going to help drive a, a goal forward, do it, but don't just like um, waste your time on it for lack of a better way of saying it. So in on that note, um, I'm going to go back to that functional reassessment that is mandated by Medicare that therapists do every 30 days. <clears throat> and there are three things that, that that is required within that reassessment. And, and I'm saying assessment knowing full well that in the uh, occupational therapy lexicon, we use the term evaluation. And assessment means something more specific. But uh, my universe is, is usually the home health industry. And so they're using the term assessment the way we use the term evaluation. Mm, good point. And um, so when Medicare says we must see this functional reassessment, there are three things that have to be present in that assessment or not three things that have to be present. There are three elements that have to be satisfied. First of all, it has to be objective, and we've already defined that as the measure or the term has to be the same, um, mean the same thing, no matter who uses it or when they use it. Mm -hmm. It has to be quantifiable or measurable. In other words, it has to be countable. Mm And that's where some standardized measures, if they are standardized to the home health setting, can be helpful because standardized Mm -hmm. measures typically are measurable Measurable. or quantifiable. Mm -hmm. 
So, and, and when they want us to speak in measurable terms, it means we can't get by with just saying, the patient's been doing real good or <laughs> patient's making great progress. Well, those are not quantifiable statements. Mm-hmm. But, but when you say that the patient is able to stand now for 20 minutes during light meal preparation with minimal safety hazards, whereas in the beginning they could only stand for seven minutes with moderate safety risk. That's measurable. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you're using no more than time Mm -hmm. and some of those Mm. old levels of assistance for the objective measures. Mm. But it also, you've turned it into a quantifiable uh, demonstration of progress. Mm. The third element that must be satisfied is that it must be functional. Mm. Yay! So objective, measurable, and functional. And so to that, I say, if indeed you feel like a biceps curl test could help you with a short-term goal to say the patient has made progress from one thing to another, that's fine. But if I were a Medicare reviewer, I'd be saying to what end? Mm. What function are you using that increased bicep strength for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's like the dream and, question that we're always wished that right. we'd be asked. Yeah. So if it helps the patient be able to pick, pick up a pan of water or um, maintain their arm in an upright position to fix their hair or... Mm-hmm. Um, brush their teeth. Right. I mean, that's why the evaluation that you have um, uh, provided starts with yes. the profile. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, what a nice little wrap up there too. Um, because Karen, <laughs> I know we're almost out of time for this first episode with you, and I um, getting to stir the pot with you is such a joy and a pleasure and. Um, I know we only have just a couple minutes left and I wanted to really quickly tell the story of how we actually met in person and then also ask you <laughs> for like one, one tip for OTs who are transitioning because I do typically tell okay. the story in the beginning. So this year at AOTA, um, there weren't any uh, particular sessions that highlighted home health OT and so I contacted AOTA about that, asking if there's anything that could be done uh, for us to just still have something for home health OTs to get together. And they said, you can have a meetup. And so they gave us a room for a meetup that was like, they gave us room for a meetup. We'll leave it at that. And so they're at this meetup. I will say I was late because it was not a location that I predicted um, and needed to take the taxi over there. Needless to say, there were people who were on time. And so when I get into the room, there's this woman talking who like, it's, it's very evident to me that she she knows a lot about home health. And I was like, I don't know who this woman is, but I like what she's saying and I'm glad she's here. And then she gives her email address out, which was K-V-A-N-C-E. I don't remember the rest, but I like, I totally had a fangirl moment. It was just like, oh my God, <laughs> Karen Vance is in the house. 
um, because <laughs> of the book that you and Carol had written and the transformation of my practice. So that was the beginning of uh, getting to connect with you in person, Karen. It's always such a pleasure. And I know we have just maybe like one or two minutes, but do you have anything or what um, tip would you give to the OT transitioning into home health? Big question for an ender. We'll come back to it again, I promise. First of all, there is no better, more magical place mm. for an occupational therapist mm. to practice than mm. in the patient's home. <laughs> yes. Number two, there have been many, many barriers to occupational therapy working in home health that mm. come from a policy and a payment perspective, and that is for another day. <laughs> Do not let that keep you from pursuing it. If you walk into an agency and apply for a job and they start giving you a list of all the things you cannot do, then you need to come back with a well-informed, but I can do this, 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 and this. And the, the last piece that I'm sure we will also be getting to at another time is on January 1st, 2020, mm -hmm. Medicare is making major changes to the way they are paying for, for home health, and they are totally eliminating the therapy threshold. So there is no extra payment for the number of visits that uh, a therapist does. It's all based on the way the patient looks. And here is my big, big message. Occupational therapists have a, such an opportunity because home health agencies need OT to get mm -hmm. the kind of outcomes that they're really going to be scrambling mm -hmm. to try to get. And what they don't know is how valuable occupational therapy can be to help them get those outcomes because we have allowed our practice in the last 20 years to be shaped by some of the policy and payment issues that have occurred. And it's time for us to turn that ship around. Mm. Amen. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, Karen, what I, yes, I hope this is uh, one of many times that we get to hear from you and it is such a, an honor and a pleasure to get to collaborate with you. And again, thank you so much for what you're doing uh, not only for our profession, but for all the people that we get to serve, because that's where it, you know, it trickles into our communities um, and our own families. So thank you again. Thank you. So, so, so much for being here, Karen. Thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. Well, holy Moses, huh? What an episode. I, I smiled to re-listen to this episode as I was editing, editing it and getting it ready to share with you. So I hope you really enjoyed this episode. A couple things I wanted to wrap up with for you, um, which are resources that you probably want to know about more specifically. So first one is the website that you can go to if you want access to the Home Health OT eval that we were mentioning that Karen helped me edit. That eval is available as a bonus if you sign up for OT Journal Club through otpotential.com. 
The next thing I wanted to tell you about was the specific name of the CEU option. So I purchased mine through AOTA. It's called SPCC, which stands for Self-Paced Clinical Course Home Healthcare, A Guide for Occupational Therapy Practice. And I just did want to bring your attention to the fact that this is available as 25 NBCOT PDUs or 20 contact hours. And for this, um, if you want all those contact hours, you'll want to make sure that you do purchase not just the book, but the self-paced clinical course. That's priced at $259 if you're a member, $359 if you're not a member. And if you're wondering if it's worth it, it absolutely is. So you may also have questions for Karen specifically that you would like her to answer. Karen will be doing uh, other podcasts with me. She's agreed to that. And in honor of her time and out of respect for also her inbox, we've created a, a link that is both in the email that you get from me if you've signed up for that at and you can sign up for that at, at www.homehealthotexplorer.com. If you would rather just go to the website, there is a link now um, on, on the website that you can submit your feedback. And it just says comments or share your voice here. So you can weigh in with questions, comments, and also your input on a home health OT workshop that is scheduled to happen in February 29th, 2020. More details to come. And if you would prefer to just have these this information ready at your fingertips in an email, you can again sign up at www.homehealthotexplore.com. Thanks so much for listening. Count your blessings. Drive safe and keep exploring. This is a poem called When I Am Among the Trees, and it's by Mary Oliver, and it goes like this. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me, and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself, in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world but walk slowly and bow often around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out stay a while the light flows from their branches and they call again it's simple they say and you too have come into the world to do this to go easy to be filled with light and to shine